matters if something is true and authentic, and sometimes it really doesn't matter at all. Um, so I came across this story a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's the story of a little uh, trucker's cafe in the middle of in the middle of France. If we can maybe see a picture of it, a little trucker's cafe. Uh, well, it doesn't matter if you can see a picture of it or not. Uh, called La Bouche. Aurier, La Bouche à Aurier, and it's this random little cafe, um, and there was a mix-up uh, with the Michelin Guide, the France Michelin Guide, and this little random trucker's calf, this little greasy spoon calf in the middle of France, was given, awarded a Michelin star. Uh, even though uh, the name was confused with a, a, rest- a far glitzier restaurant of the same name over 180 kilometers away. But uh, what happened then was that for miles and miles around, lots of French foodies descended uh, on this little calf uh, and discovered that uh, the plat du jour was croque monsieur and nothing else. That was it. Um, and so they were horrendously uh, disappointed. Uh, and the Michelin Guide actually had to issue a formal apology to both restaurants. Uh, and the chef of the Glitzier restaurant uh, took it all very well in his stride. And Mr. Drew said it was a little boo-boo. Um, uh, no harm done. Uh, it, it's uh, been corrected now. Uh, and no problem. It gave us all a good laugh. Sometimes it doesn't matter if something is true and authentic Or it's not. But sometimes it does matter. Sometimes it it really, really matters incredibly. Um, I think this was illustrated by uh, the story, another story, of a British businessman called James McCormick. James McCormick. Some McCormick's here. Uh, A few dodgy McCormick's here too. Uh, (laughs) uh, But this guy, uh, James McCormick, uh, he made millions. He made millions selling bomb detectors in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, And it turns out these bomb detectors were totally fake. They were actually simply novelty golf ball detectors. But what he did was he repackaged them in very fancy cases, and he sold them to the security services in Iraq uh, and Afghanistan. Uh, and do you see that whether something is a true bomb detector or a fake bomb detector, that, that really, really matters. That's a life or death issue, yeah? It's, in, in this case, mothers lost children. Spouses lost their husband or wife. Parents, children lost parents. All because the security services were using these detectors that were fake and phony, not the real thing at all. Well, as we think about the issue of spirituality this morning, it seems to me as I look out in the world and listen to social media, uh, it seems to me that actually our society treats the whole issue of spirituality a bit like that Michelin star issue. It's, it doesn't really matter uh, if it's true or not. Um, what really matters just is if it makes you feel better. 
Uh, so I, a few uh, years ago, I took a note of this little notice. I was on the tube in London, uh, and I was sitting just directly uh, looking at one of those little notices, little advertisements, and it was an advertisement for the London School of Spirituality. The London School of Spirituality, and this was the ad. We provide a place where people from different faiths, religions, beliefs, and fields can come together with our tutors uh, to help each other on their journey of self-discovery and release their untapped abilities and explore the eternal frontier of consciousness. No, I have no idea what that means either, but... um, (laughs) But you get the idea? The idea simply is, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what your faith is, it doesn't matter what your background is, you, you're, uh, you believe in God or not, you believe in the supernatural or not, it doesn't matter, just all come together, we'll learn from each other, and it'll make us feel better. Uh, it'll give us, and it, if, it, if it works for you, if you find a spirituality that works for you, brilliant, brilliant. If it gives you a sense of peace and well-being, Wonderful. But what you mustn't do, what you must not do, implied in that ad, is tell anybody else that they're wrong, that their spirituality is incorrect, that what they believe is not true. That would be rude, that would be fundamentalist, that would be arrogant, that would be dangerous. Don't do that. And so as we come now to 1 John chapter 4, I want you to just look down and, and see how shocking it is that John says what he says, especially in verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's an incredibly controversial thing to say today. Some people are wrong in what they believe about the supernatural. And you are not to be conned. You are not to be gullible. Um, Not everybody who makes a claim about the spiritual realm is making a true claim. Not every teacher who claims to uh, have insight into spirituality is correct. Uh, And not every spiritual experience is a genuine one. There are false ones. And spotting the difference really, really matters. It's not just a Michelin star issue. It's just all a bit of a laugh and it doesn't really matter. No, this is a bomb detector issue. This is a matter of life and death if you get it wrong. And so be careful. There are false teachers out there. If you've been with us, um, as Anita said, uh, over the last few weeks, we have seen that actually the background for, we've been kind of reading between the lines, the background for uh, this letter is that there, um, John is writing to a church, probably a church in the, in the Ephesus area in the first century. Uh, and it seems that a bunch of members of the church have sort of upped and left. Uh, and they have been in contact with, the, so you've got the leavers who've left uh, and the remainers. They've been in contact with the leavers, uh, and the leavers have said, you're not still going to that church, are you? That church, it's so narrow-minded, so medieval, so out of date. Uh, Come and join us. Come and join us. Uh, We now have deeper, richer spiritual experiences. We've got direct revelation from God. 
we have deeper insight. Come, join us. Uh, and some of the remainers have been unsettled by that. They've, been, they've begun to think, well, maybe, maybe we are missing out. Maybe we, we're missing out on all that God has for us. Maybe we're missing out uh, on some of these richer, deeper experiences. They seem to have a more sophisticated, more spiritual faith. Maybe we should join them. And John writes this letter to say, you do not join the new kids on the block. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. You have all you need. Keep believing what you've always believed about the Lord Jesus. Why? Because it's true. I was there. I saw it. It's true. And keep behaving in the way you've always behaved, in the way you were taught. Because you belong to God. You've got everything you need. You're truly forgiven. You're truly loved. Stay where you are. And that's the message, really, of this, this letter. Uh, and then we come to this passage where he effectively takes on some of the claims that this other group are making. And he's happy to say that they are wrong. They are wrong. And what John is saying here is actually in perfect harmony with, with what is said in the rest of, of the New Testament. Um, we know that the Bible again and again warns that there are many people uh, who are false teachers. Not everyone who stands up with the Bible will be teaching you the truth. That's not the case. Um, So Jesus, for example, says in Matthew 7, verse 17, watch out for uh, false prophets uh, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Um, or perhaps most strikingly of all, I think, is when the Apostle Paul is speaking to, uh, to elders, church leaders in, in Ephesus. Uh, and he says, I know that after... Uh, sorry, I, I know that savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock even from your own number. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. That's shocking, isn't it? Even from within the church, people will rise up who will twist the truth for their own benefit and draw people off away from the Lord Jesus. And so this is something that in the first century we need, they, were need, they needed to be really careful of. Even, even among churches that were taught by the apostles, false teachers arose. And so we need to be just as careful today. Uh, false teaching is not a theoretical thing. It's not just something that could happen in the first century, but it's something that does happen today. And so we need to be on our guard And at the center of the Christian faith, at the heart of the Christian faith, is not just how I feel about things. At the heart of the Christian faith are some facts about what Jesus did in real history. Some facts about what the true and living God is really like. And where there are facts, there will also be twisting of those facts. There will also always be falsehood. And so we need to be on our guard. Uh, 
word of warning just before we dive on, before we continue. Uh, this doesn't mean, by the way, that everyone who disagrees with you on anything you can label as a false teacher. That is just, that is not true. It is possible, it's possible that you might be wrong, isn't it? It is possible. And there's a whole bunch of issues that are, the Bible's, you know, we would love the Bible to be a little bit clearer on. There's a whole bunch of issues where we can debate, where we can discuss, we can even disagree on them and not divide. But... In the New Testament, there are some essential facts about who God is as Father, Son, and Spirit, that Jesus is God and man who really lived, who really died, who really rose again. Uh, He died for our sins and was raised for for our salvation. That if you start to deny any of those core central things, actually at this point we've got to say this is not just... It's not just someone has a different perspective, an interesting alternative view. At some point when people deny those central things about who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done, that actually we've got to say, no, that is wrong and we will oppose it. John Stott put it like this. Um, If you can get the quote. Many Christians are too gullible and exhibit exhibit a naive readiness to credit messages, teachings that purport to be from the spiritual world. I think that's a challenge uh, as we approach these verses. We are often too gullible, not discerning enough uh, as we listen to those who will stand up uh, and teach the Bible. We need to be careful. Truth matters. Truth matters. But we also need to do it humbly. Have I, am I right on everything? More than likely not. Okay. But nevertheless, we also must be those who contend for the truth. So the big question is, how can I spot the difference? Is there any kind of test I can use that will say, yes, if I apply the test, it will make it clear that that is not true and this is true. Well, wonderfully, John gives us two simple tests uh, to work out what is true and what is not true. If someone stands up and says, God has told me X, how do you begin to work out whether or not that is a real message from God or someone is literally talking nonsense? How do you work it out? Two simple tests. Sorry, these are not snappy titles. I'm sorry. The best I could do. The truly spiritual person, number one, the truly spiritual person acknowledges that Jesus Christ uh, has come in the flesh. Okay? The truly spiritual person acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That is John's first test. It's not always easy to know who is speaking the truth and who's not. It's not always easy to know who is the good guy and who's the bad guy. In the movies, it's really easy, isn't it? It's usually pretty easy. Hollywood makes it easy for you. It's good. So you've got... Usually they'll speak with a British accent, an English accent even. That's a bad, clearly a bad guy speaking with an English accent. Uh, probably a scar on the face, clearly a bad guy. Uh, you've got... 
you know, if you're watching The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, and Edmund is offered that Turkish delight, you're screaming at him, no, Ed, don't take the Turkish delight. That tall, posh lady is clearly the White Witch. Don't, don't listen to her. Um, or if you're a Star Wars fan, you know, I don't know what Senator Palpatine and the whole Trade Federation thing, you don't know what he's doing there, but he's got an evil emperor written all over him, doesn't he? He's clearly the bad guy. It's obvious. It's obvious. However, in real life, it's, it's not so obvious, is it? It's not clear. It's not clear who is speaking the truth and who is self-deluded or actively being a deceiver. It is not obvious. But John gives us a bit of help here. John says that we can begin to discern who is speaking the truth by applying this test. And it's not just listen to the person who's really nice. It's not just listen to the person who's really smart. It's not just listen to the person who has an allegiance to Jesus. Can I just say those three criteria all the major heretics of church history all met those three criteria. They were all really nice, they were all really smart, and they all had some sort of allegiance to Jesus. But they were still all very, very wrong. John says, here's a better test, verses 2 and 3. This is how, okay, here's your test, this is how... Uh, you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge uh, acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, what is John talking about here? A little bit of background. What is John addressing? Well, he's, uh, we know from church history that about this time there were these other church leaders and teachers who had began to kind of take Christian ideas and take some Greek philosophy and begin to mix them up. Uh, part of Greek philosophy was basically the idea that the physical, the human physical body, uh, the physical world is bad. Uh, the spiritual is good. And so lots of people were beginning to say, well, God wouldn't want to get his hands dirty by becoming a physical human being. Uh, and so they began to teach that Jesus was a man, uh, and at his baptism, a spirit from God came upon him uh, and enabled him to do miracles and teach with great insight. But just before he died, that spirit departed from him, and he died as a man, just another man. And John wants to say that is nonsense. That is nonsense. Remember, trust me, I was there. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, I was there, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. Jesus was the historical man who is God, fully God, and who died for you. John gives us this little test. How do you test if someone is a false teacher or not? Well, they acknowledge that uh, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, that sounds like a very simple test. Oh, they ask if they believe in Jesus. But actually, it's quite, I think it's a very elegant, profound test where each word in that little phrase matters. Where each word matters. First, um, any 
teacher, any Bible teacher must acknowledge Jesus. Jesus. Now what does Jesus mean? Jesus, we know from Christmas time and the, the Christmas nativity story, you shall call him Jesus because his name means Savior. He will save his people. And so uh, any, any teacher who claims to be a Christian must be someone who confesses. And when John uses the word confess, he doesn't just mean say the words. He means believe in your heart celebrate and joyfully teach. That's really what he means, confess. You believe it. You rejoice over this truth. You pass on this truth to other people. They must believe that Jesus died as a substitute to save sinners. There is no other way for sinful people like you and me, people who have messed up, In thought and word and deed, there is no way for us to be forgiven, for us to be brought back into relationship with God, for us to know friendship with him in a future, uh, unless Jesus died and took the penalty for us. He died in our place as a substitute. And he bore the full punishment that we deserved so that we might share in the blessings that he deserves. And anyone who denies that is not a Christian and is a false teacher. That's a shocking thing to say. And actually, if if you begin to read theological literature, you begin to study theology in in any way, you will see that there are lots and lots and lots and lots of people who deny that very thing. They find it ugly that Jesus would take the punishment for people, sinful people. Even the thought that people are sinful in the first place to need that, many, many people deny. But here's your first touchstone. Here's your first test. Does someone believe that Jesus is the Savior who died in the place of sinners? Second idea here, do you believe? So when you hear a teacher teach, you want to be asking in your mind, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Jesus is the Christ. Again, uh, Christ is not, we say this lots of times from the front, but Christ is not Jesus' surname. If, you're not, if you wanted to find his phone number, you looked it up in the Nazareth phone book under Christ. No, no, Christ is a title, and it means king. It is really the, the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah, anointed one, God's chosen king. Uh, and what the Christian faith teaches is that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. He is the king. Many people don't recognize it, him as king yet, but that doesn't stop it being so. He is the king. And anyone then who teaches that you don't have to do what Jesus says, uh, you don't have to let Jesus call the shots in your life, uh, you don't have to obey all his commands. Well, John would say, if you, if you have anyone that says that, that you can have Jesus as your savior, but you don't have to bother living for him as your king uh, and obeying what he tells you to do in the New Testament. John would say, no, you, that is, that is the, a key warning sign of a false teacher. Be careful. Don't listen to that person if they're saying things like that. 
You see, what Jesus says about us as human beings, what he says about sexuality, what he says about work, what he says about our treatment of refugees, what he says about our treatment of people who, and our attitude of people who differ from us uh, politically, how we treat our families, how we look after the poor, what Jesus says about all those things, they're not suggestions. They are commands from the king. And we are called to obey him. And anyone who says you don't need to, don't listen to them. Third little idea. Jesus Christ has come. Has come. The implication here is that he was somewhere before to come from. You get the idea? He must have been somewhere if he came into the world. And again, this is key Christian idea that Jesus was eternally existing as the second person of the Trinity in eternal, joyful relationship with the Father and the Spirit from all eternity. Uh, And at one point, he took on another nature. He became a human being uh, and walked among us. Uh, John teaches that in his gospel. He teaches that in his letter. He teaches that in his book of Revelation. That Jesus is equally the uncreated God. That he is equal with the Father in glory, majesty, power, and authority. And anyone who denies that, that he is not fully God from all eternity, who became a man then you shouldn't listen to them. You shouldn't listen to them. You shouldn't listen to the Jehovah's Witnesses who deny that. You shouldn't listen to uh, Islam that denies that. Last little test. Jesus, the Savior, Christ, the King, has come. He is God in the flesh, fully man. He didn't just appear to be a man. He became one of us. He became one of us. John strongly insists that Jesus became one of us in every way, in every way, having a full human body, mind, heart, will, like us in every way except that he was sinless. Uh, And this really matters because he had to be one of us in order to die for us. If anyone who denies that Jesus uh, is a, a human being, fully one of us, John says, do not listen to them. That's the sign of a false teacher. And if you look at the list of heresies down through the centuries, the cults of today, at some point they'll deny one or more of those four things. They'll deny one or more of those four things. And so in the Christian faith... It's a bit like the solar system, just in the way all the planets revolve around the sun, S-U-N. In the Christian faith, all of our beliefs revolve around the sun, S-O-N. He is the one. What someone thinks about Jesus is the key test of whether they are telling you the truth or not, whether they are a false teacher or not. And that means that that, uh, as Christians, we cannot say that we're all worshipping the same God just by a different name. No, no. 
Because if you disagree with who Jesus is and what he's done, then actually you are worshipping a different God altogether. Because when I use the word G-O-D as a Christian, I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John wants us uh, to wrestle with the truth. Uh, We often think of spiritual people as those people who are vaguely interested in the supernatural, who maybe believe in miracles and believe in life after death. But John goes as far as saying, if you deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, there's nothing spiritual at all about you. There's nothing spiritual at all about you. Again, that's a shocking thing to say, but that is the logic that John has for us this morning. The first test then is that the truly spiritual person acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Second test, more briefly, the second test is that the truly spiritual person accepts the apostles' teaching. Um, Actually, before he gets to that test in verses 5 and 6, he throws in verse 4. He throws in verse 4 to be encouraging, to be encouraging. Uh, Verse 4, he writes, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. That is the false teachers. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, again, if you were with us three weeks ago or so, we learned that John uses the world in slightly different ways, even within this letter. Sometimes he means planet Earth, creation. And John is not saying here, I hate David Attenborough documentaries and all to do with nature. I hate nature. No, no, he's not saying that. He's using the world in the second sense. And the second sense is that he is saying that uh, he's using the, the word world, a shorthand for humanity in rejection of God. Humanity in rejection of God. And human rejection of God is so prevalent all over this world that actually tragically we can use that word as shorthand for humanity in rejection of God. What John is saying here, however, is that you do not have to be conned. You do not need to panic. It's not inevitable that you'll be blown off course and led astray. No, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have someone who will help you. Someone who will walk with you. Someone who will teach you. Someone who will guide you into the truth. And that person has been introduced to us back in verse 24 of the last chapter. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to every Christian to be our helper, to be our teacher, uh, to be our guide. Um, Just last year, I, with Ruth, took the boys down to uh, the play park behind Avenil. I don't know if you've ever been there, the play park behind Avenil. Um, And in it, there is a zip line, a little mini zip line. Uh, You probably know the thing, the sort of thing. It's got like a pendulum seat that hangs from a wire on on guide rails. And you pull it up the hill, you jump on the little pendulum seat, and then you just let go and you sort of go down the hill gently and come to a sort of a gentle stop. That's the idea anyway. Um, So there's a bunch of sort of 8 to 12-year-olds playing on this. 
Uh, they go and slide to the bottom. They pull the pendulum seat up to the top. And then in the queue is this little boy, and he was probably only around five years old. And he was very brave, and he got up onto the platform. And the pendulum, he finally caught to the front of the queue, and he was handed the seat. And he froze. And I felt really sorry for him. He froze. And uh, the, the queue behind him of the older kids began to kind of grow unsettled. They began to say, hurry up. Get on. Get or get off so the rest of us can have a go. And at that point, out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone run, run, run up to the little boy. And it was his dad. And his dad helped him on the seat and then held the seat and ran along with him all the way down the zip line. That is the picture that you're meant to have here. You have someone who will make sure you won't fall off, who will make sure you're not led astray, who will walk with you, who will teach you and guide you. The Holy Spirit, and he is with every Christian the moment we put our trust uh, in the Lord Jesus. He is your teacher uh, and your guide. And it's just as well we have a teacher and our guide. Because look uh, at what John goes on to say uh, in the next verses in 5 and 6. We need a teacher. We need a guide. Because they, that is the false teachers, are from the world. And therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. What these, the reason why it is so important and so wonderfully encouraging that we have a helper is because what the false teachers have to say is always really attractive. Of course it's always really attractive. They'll, they say stuff that's just right on trend. They are saying things that really what they're doing is taking what the culture says and sort of giving it a spiritual veneer and then parroting it back to the culture. So it's always going to be popular. It's always going to be more attractive than faithful, biblical Christianity. Um, I came across this um, interview. Uh, It was a Christian magazine, which will remain nameless, a Christian magazine. uh, And in it was interviewed uh, a marketing consultant. And he was speaking to church leaders, right? This was not the the opinion of the, the magazine, but... This was the opinion of this marketing consultant. And he said this, a guy called Aaron Lehman. If you want to grow your church, you need to modernize. And at one point I'm thinking, well, that's probably true, isn't it? And that's why as a church here we have a modern feel or contemporary feel. Um, We want as few barriers as possible uh, when people come in. That's why we don't have pews, and that's why we serve great coffee, proper coffee uh, next door. That is why the music is led in a contemporary style by a band, so that you can make it as easy as possible to sing along. It's good to modernize. That's right. That's right. But that's not where he was going with it. What did he say? He continued... The thing I like about the Church of England, by the way, I love the Church of England. I have lots of friends in the Church of England. But this is what he said. What I like about the Church of England is that they're, uh, they are good at adapting to the culture. They have been more progressive and brought their teaching into line with society around them. Uh, and that is what 
you need to do. That's what you need to do. See the implication? See if you hold on to all those kind of old, out-of-date ideas that God created the world, old, out-of-date ethics about what sexuality is supposed to be like and how families are supposed to be and what marriage is supposed to look like and families are supposed to function. If you hold on to those outdated ideas that it's only through Jesus that you can be forgiven and a friendship with God, what's the implication? Your church will die. Your church will die. It'll shrivel up and die. You don't want to die, do you? You don't want to be unpopular, do you? Then just listen to the BBC. Just, just read The Guardian a bit more. Uh, and try to kind of move your ideas and get them to line up with the ideas of the BBC and The Guardian. And then you'll be popular. And then people will come. But of course that's nonsense, isn't it? It's nonsense. It's nonsense for so many reasons. I don't have time to lay them all out for you. But, but, but it's, it's nonsense even practically. Because if you've got nothing unique to contribute, you won't influence anybody. You won't influence anybody. And so it's very clear, lots of the mainline churches who have edited their belief are actually becoming less and less relevant to society. Because they have nothing unique to say. It's also nonsense because actually society's views are forever changing, aren't they? They're forever changing. And so how do you know what view will last and what view will be discarded? Think of your grandparents for a moment. Think of your grandparents. Your grandparents held ideas and assumptions that we look back now and we think are both embarrassing and wrong. The truth is, your grandchildren will look back to you and think you held ideas that were embarrassing and wrong. But you don't know which ideas they'll be. You don't. John says, don't get teachers who just chase the culture. Because if you just teach what the culture teaches, well, of course the, the bloggers and the commentators and the uh, columnists will say, oh, yeah, that, that's, that's a good Bible teacher. That's the sort of religion we can get behind. Yes, we like them. Simply because they never challenge and just parrot the same old ideas back again. John says, don't go for teachers who run after the culture. Go after teachers to teach God's unchanging truth. God's unchanging truth. You want ideas that will matter for your grandchildren? Then read the Bible, believe the Bible, teach the Bible. John says we need to accept the uh, apostles' teaching because those ideas, God's unchanging truth, has been passed on to the apostles. Verse 6, we are from God, and whoever, follow, whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. <laughs> Look, you can't say that, I can't say that. No, none of us in this room can say, anyone who knows God listens to me. No, we can't say that. John is speaking at this point as an apostle, as an apostle, 
We saw from chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, he speaks as someone who is part of a unique group of people who were eyewitnesses to the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so he has got, uh, he is one of Jesus' specially commissioned spokesmen and who preserved his testimony in the words of the New Testament that we have in our hands. And so if we want to be, uh, to know God, uh, to know him truly, to understand his will for our lives, to understand the truth about the Lord Jesus, where we've come from, where we're going, what life's all about, we need to listen to the testimony, the interpretation, and the instructions of the apostles that are preserved for us in the New Testament. Verse 6, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God, does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Here then is the the second dividing line between false teachers and those who are authentically, truly Christian and teaching you the truth. Do they submit to the teaching of the New Testament? If someone is saying to you, yeah, but that's what they did in Bible days. We've moved on from that now. We don't need to do that anymore. John would say that should be a big red flag. Whoa, hold on. Because what we have here is God's unchanging truth that he has given to his apostles. And so what we have here in this little section, I know it's difficult, I know it's tricky trying to figure out what these words mean, but we have a really gracious, kind warning. And it's the sort of warning every parent gives to a child. As John speaks, verse 4, dear children. It's the warning every parent gives to a child. Not every uh, grown-up you talk to is a nice person. Some of them are not nice people. Don't, don't take their sweeties, actually. They're out to harm you. Instead, trust your father. Trust your father. He loves you. He has given you everything you need to keep you safe and well. He has given you his spirit. He has given you his word. And as we lean on them and trust in them, we will walk in the truth and we'll be safe. Let's pray.